All right. Isn't it exciting to baptize some people, to be a part of that? There's a bunch of kids at the back. How's it going, kids? All right. It's exciting to get to baptize people. Hey, we baptize people even when it snows. We baptize people even when it snows in April. We baptize people even though it obviously snows just on Sundays. We baptize people. We do that. So I'm excited that you're here, that you braved that snow. Uh, I, I loved how in first service on the way out and watching you guys come in, I just saw a bunch of rebels. Like just, I am not going to wear a coat. I don't care what's happening outside. It's April. I'm not wearing a coat. Some of you look like you regretted that decision, all right? I saw just like your hair was all jacked up. But anyways... Revelation chapter 3 and Luke chapter 18, if you have your Bible. Hey, I like it hot, don't you? I mean, I like it hot. Maybe I should be clear about what I'm talking about. My coffee. I like my coffee hot. Like when I drink coffee, I want it piping hot. Anybody else like that? Like I want it really, really, really hot. I've been known to run to the microwave throughout the day or even in like 15 seconds after I brew the coffee. Uh, I don't brew coffee really. Uh, I use a Keurig. I don't know. Does that brew? I don't know if that's called brewing. But I, I get the coffee from the Keurig and, I, and I'm always going back and forth to the microwave, heating that thing up because I like my coffee hot. When I grab my cup and I put it to my lips, there's this moment of anticipation that the nectar from heaven is going to touch my lips and transform my life. And I'm really excited about it. But that nectar from heaven is always 100% of the time piping, piping hot. And if I put the, the cup to my lips and I drink it and it's not hot. I just spit that stuff. It's not like a small thing. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like this is not a small thing. I'm like, oh, that is disgusting. I, do I have coffee in my beard right now? All right. You guys can't see it. It's fine. I like it hot. Like it's got to be piping hot. I'll send it back if it's not. My, my food, I like my food hot. It's supposed, supposed to be hot. I like it hot. I don't like it lukewarm. I like my food hot. Like I've been known at my house to, to run to the microwave if, if my food isn't hot because there's this like weird vacuum of time and space between the time the food comes out of the oven and the time we get our tribe of five to sit down at the table, right? Anybody experience that? It's like a Twilight Zone deal. All of a sudden, 30 minutes has passed and the whole, you know, meal is cold. I've been known to grab a plate and head to the microwave because I like it hot. I like my food hot. I like my coffee hot. But not Coca-Cola. I like that cold, right? Somebody hands me like a lukewarm or hot Coke. I'm like, I don't want it. I don't want that. Put that in the fridge or the freezer, right? Get it cold. I like my Coke cold. When I was in China, when we lived there, they, they served us one time this ginger cola that was like heated up and brewed kind of like tea, and it was hot and it was disgusting <laughs> because Coca-Cola is supposed to be cold, right? I don't drink beer. I know some of you do. I know that because I see you on Facebook. I don't know if you know if I see you. But I see you on Facebook. You guys aren't taking like selfies with your like lemonade or Mountain Dew. <laughs> taking selfies with that cold beer, right? I've never heard anybody say, man, I just can't wait to get home and get a lukewarm beer. I've never heard that. 
Everybody's always, it's, I don't drink beer, but I hear that it's, it's better cold. Can somebody amen that? Yeah, you guys who never say amen just said amen. <laughs> it's probably a, something there you should think about. Nah, it's a, it's a cold one. I mean, I can't think of very many things that I would like lukewarm, that are good lukewarm. Like, I, I've never been into warm milk. I know that's a thing. Ah, man, if I grab a glass of milk and I drink it and it's not cold, I, ugh, I gag. Like, I think it's disgusting. I spit that. It makes me sick, right? And depending on how you grew up and all of that, you may have some differing opinions on this, but I guarantee you've got some things that are supposed to be hot and some things that are supposed to be cold. And if they're not that, if they're lukewarm, it's a problem, right? Like if the coffee you ordered at Starbucks is cold, but it's supposed to be hot, you send it back. Or if it's hot, but it's supposed to be cold, you send that coffee back. Like if you go to draw a bath, a hot bath, or you go to take a shower, a hot shower and you find that the water heater is out of hot water because you've got 37 kids and they don't know how to work the you know and so you now it's your turn but it's cold usually you just wait until the water heater fills back up you don't take a cold bath that would be weird right? You, you wait till it fills back up. When you're at Panera and you order broccoli cheese soup and you get it and you sit down to eat it, if it's cold or lukewarm, you send that stuff back, right? If you are at the pool on a hot summer day and you jump in expecting it to be this cool, refreshing thing, and you find that the pool is warm, you're like looking around to see how many kids are in here. <laughs> and then you get out and you ask somebody who works at the pool, what's going on? It's supposed to be cold, right? But if you're with your honey and you're at a hotel and you go down and at night to the to the hot tub because you like it hot. <laughs> and you go down there and you guys, there's some anticipation and, and you get into the hot tub, but it's, it's cold. You go back up to the room <laughs> because you like it hot, right? You like it hot. It's okay. Yeah. There are things that are supposed to be hot and there are things that are supposed to be cold. And like I said, sometimes... When it comes to food and drink, you can drink those things that are supposed to be hot and they're kind of cool or lukewarm. They kind of make you sick. Like, it make you kind of gag. Like, oh, God, that's disgusting. Cold soup, warm milk, cold coffee when you expect it to be hot. It can kind of make you sick for a moment. But moving on from the physical side of this with food and drink, have you ever told somebody before that they make you sick, like a person? You go, you make me sick. Maybe, maybe it was something they were doing. You go, man, what you're doing, what you're saying, what you did, ah, it makes me sick. You ever said that before? Maybe like it was serious, like they did something really bad. They betrayed you, cheated on you. You make me sick. Someone who lied to you or stole from you, you make me sick. Someone taking advantage of the most vulnerable in our society, those who are impoverished, the young, the naive, the innocent, you make me sick. It's a pretty extreme indictment, isn't it? Have you ever said that to somebody? You make me sick. What about this? Has anybody ever said that to you? Maybe you were in an argument and it just got crazy and they said, you make me sick. Maybe you were trying to apologize for some mistake that you made, some thing that you did and you were sincere but they just weren't getting it and they go, you make me 
sick, it kind of slaps you in the face, doesn't it? It probably leaves you speechless for a moment, especially if the person saying it is someone that you care about, you respect, you love. You make me sick. I would, I would hate to hear that from someone I loved or someone I respected. I would hate for my wife, Erin, to say that to me. You make me sick. It would crush me to hear her say that and mean it. Who's on that list for you? Like people who you don't want to hear say, you make me sick. Maybe it's your mom, your dad. Maybe it's your spouse, your son, your daughter, your brother, your sister. All those people would be on that list for me too. You make me sick. One would top that list though, right? One person I definitely don't want to hear say to me, you make me sick, is Jesus I don't want Jesus to tell me, Jake, you make me sick. And you may go, oh, Jesus is too nice. He wouldn't say that. Jesus wouldn't say that. I wouldn't want to hear Jesus say, Jake, you make me sick. Or, or Great Oaks, you make me sick. You go, oh, he wouldn't say that. Well, there's actually a lot of things in the Bible that Jesus says that, that are pretty harsh and difficult. And I think there are possibilities of things that he could definitely say to us. One of those is in Matthew, uh, Matthew 5 and Matthew, no, Matthew 7 and Matthew 25, when Jesus is talking about that moment when, when people show up and they're maybe going to enter heaven. And he says this, he says, back away from me, I never knew you. You're not getting in, back away from me, I never knew you. That's something I don't want to hear Jesus say to me. Back away from me. I never knew you. What about the, the parable of the talents in Luke 19 where, where there's this, this servant who doesn't do anything with the, with the money that he's been given by the master. And the master says to that third servant, you wicked servant. And in the Matthew 25 version of that parable, uh, the master casts that servant out into outer darkness. I don't want to hear Jesus say to me, you wicked servant. Servant, Both of these, back away from me, I never knew you, and you wicked servant, seem to be possibilities according to the scriptures. And there are more. Today, we're wrapping up a series called Dear Church, uh, where we've st been studying the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And a couple weeks ago, we, we studied the letter to the church at Sardis. And in that letter, Jesus said, you think that you're alive, but you're actually dead. Another thing I don't want to hear Jesus say to me. You think you're alive, but you're actually dead. And today we'll add to that list of things we don't want Jesus to say. We'll add to that list, you make me sick. So in the book of Revelation, before the beasts with the ten horns and the dragons and the four horsemen of the apocalypse, that there's these seven letters tucked away in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, letters that Jesus dictates to the, to the apostle John to write down and to send out to seven actual churches, some of the first churches to ever exist. And, and in these letters, Jesus offers encouragement and he offers hope, uh, but he also issues some pretty serious rebukes and some pretty serious correction. In fact, some of the most difficult to take things that Jesus ever said in the Bible show up in these letters. So there's a bunch of things like that. And, and so we've looked at the first six, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and then last week Pastor Chris preached on the letter to Philadelphia. So make sure you get those uh, messages on iTunes or our website uh, so that you can catch up if you missed them. Today, 
we'll study the seventh and final letter in Revelation chapter 3 to the church in a city called Laodicea. Laodicea. Now, this, this may be the most well-known of the seven letters that, that we're studying. And there's, there's a lot that we could look at from, histori- from history and archaeology, uh, some, some context things that we could look at. And that's fine. We've done some of that with, with some of the other, uh, l- other letters. We could, we could kind of look at all these details around uh, the city of Laodicea. And I think that's, that's okay to do. But with this letter specifically, I want to be careful that we don't get lost in the details here. Sometimes we can get kind of start explaining away the edges of Scripture and dulling them down. And, and the, the sword of Scripture, as we explain away the edges, the sword of Scripture becomes like a, a Bible butter knife. And, and we kind of just focus on these details and we kind of lessen what the Scriptures say. And, and so I want to make sure that we're not getting lost here I want to be careful not to do that. So what Jesus says in this letter, it's not hard to understand. It may be hard to accept for us, for you and me to accept, but it is not difficult to understand. So here's the main thing I want you to hear about the city of Laodicea. It was the wealthiest city of the seven cities. In fact, it was one of, could have been the wealthiest commercial center in the world at the time, okay? So very, very wealthy. And you can find other historical facts here and there. They're cute. They're fun. They're good things to kind of think about. But don't get lost in the weeds. Don't miss the forest for the trees. This letter is straightforward. Listen, beloved, you need no background, On the city of Laodicea, the ancient city of Laodicea, you need no background to understand what Jesus says in this letter. None. I just wanted you to know how rich they are so that you can start kind of drawing parallels between them and you, where they lived and where you live now. They lived in one of the richest cities in the world. You live in one of the richest places, one of the richest nations in the world. So let's read it. Each of these seven letters, they start with a description of the risen Christ. This one is no different. This is Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14, the last of seven letters. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Okay, so John's writing this down, and he goes, okay, what... Okay, Jesus, last letter. What do you want to say to the church at Laodicea? I'll write it down. Jesus goes, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold, neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Don't get lost in the details here. It's simple. Jesus says to this church, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're kind of lukewarm, just kind of casual about me. I feel like spitting you out of my mouth. You make me gag. Jesus goes, you guys make me sick. You make me want to vomit. That's what Jesus thinks of the church at Laodicea. Because they're not fired up, because they're not on fire for him. They're lukewarm, Jesus, because you make me sick. 
I mean, I mean, I don't know if you knew we were going to talk about this today. I don't know what you were expecting me to say. I don't know what you hope I would say here. How I would help kind of dull the edges of the sword of Scripture today. I, I don't know that there's just no way to get around what Jesus says to the church at Laodicea. I heard a guy teaching on this once. And he goes, hey, it just means, it just means what it means. I mean, people go, well, what, is it, what does it mean really that Jesus, like, spits you out of his mouth? Like, what is he really saying? Surely it doesn't mean what we think it means on the surface. Like, what does it really mean? Like, I don't know what you want me to say. Like, well, the Hebrew word for spit is hawk. <laughs> like, hakalugi. That's not, you don't need to know any Greek or Hebrew to understand what Jesus is saying here. You, you can't explain this away. It's not complex. It's, it's hard to understand. It may, it's not hard to understand. It may be difficult to accept, but it's not hard to understand. Jesus goes, you make me sick. Ugh, I just want to spit you out of my mouth. Your lackadaisical, casual, no big deal approach to the things of God makes me sick. Makes me want to gag. It makes me want to vomit. It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward, right? It's pretty straightforward. But what, what got this church to this place where Jesus wants to spit them out of his mouth? Jesus is not... He, he, he's not complex about that. It's not complicated. He's very, very straightforward about that too. It's in verse 17 and, and following. It says this, For you say, I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. They, they got this way because they're rich. They got this way because they think they have everything they need. They are depending on their material Wealth, and it's produced this casual approach to Jesus Christ, this lukewarmness that Jesus says makes him want to vomit. And Jesus goes, you think you're rich, but you're not. You think you're blessed, but you're not. You're wretched. You're pitiable. You're poor. Pitiable means that those who know the truth, those who really get it, they pity you. They, they pity you. I pity you. You're not rich. You're actually poor. You think your riches give you this advantage, this higher vantage point from which to see the world. You're wrong. You're poor. Your riches have made you blind. You, you wear nice clothes. I mean, you stand in front of a closet full of clothes and you have the audacity to say, I've got nothing to wear. Jesus goes, you're actually closer to the truth than you realize because spiritually you're naked and you should be ashamed. Jesus goes, get your, get your gold from me. Get your gold from me and then you'll be rich. Get your clothes from me, white garments, 
and then you won't have to be ashamed anymore. He goes, hey, get some medicine from me, and I'll fix your eyes so that you can finally see. He's hammering this point home that there are two kinds of rich. You can be rich materially, and you can be rich spiritually. Rich in this life and rich in the next. Rich in junk and rich in Jesus. And listen, beloved, it's really, really hard to be both. It's really hard to be both. Because to be rich materially makes you, can make you rich or poor spiritually. To be rich materially can make you poor spiritually. To be rich in this life can make you poor in the next, pitiable in the next. And it's not like this is the only time this idea shows up in the Bible either. Luke 18, Jesus has this kind of rich young guy come up to him and go, hey, how do I get to heaven? Jesus goes, well, you just need to follow the law. The rich guy kind of gets excited. He goes, I, I got that. I'm good with that. I, I follow all the law. I'm good. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else? Jesus goes, wow. You know what? You love your stuff too much. So actually you need to sell everything you have. Give away all your riches. Give away all your stuff to the poor. And then come follow me and you'll be complete. You'll find life. Luke 18 says that that rich man was, was very sad. He left very sad because he was extremely rich. And Jesus in that moment just kind of shakes his head and he goes, ah, it's so hard. Looks at his disciples and goes, it's just so hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. On a global scale, we're just like this guy. We are extremely rich. It's so hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. And then he says that, that famous line about how it's, it'd be easier for a, to cram a camel through the eye of a needle than it would be for one rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because there are two kinds of rich, materially and spiritually, this life and the next, rich in junk and rich in Jesus. And it's really hard to be both. And check out James chapter 5. The, the harshness of this, the tone of this is just crazy. James chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says this, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and the corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last day. Look at verse five. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Whoa, it's like, whoa, James. Like, oh, cool down, Turbo. Like, that is, that is serious. I mean, the rich should cry out in pain. It's a lot like what Jesus said in this letter to Laodicea. The rich are not at an advantage here, James is saying. 
They think they're good to go, but they're actually poor in the way that matters most. He's saying that those who put their hope in riches will on the last day when it all matters, when you die or Jesus shows up, those who put their hope in riches will be standing on the last day looking at all the things that they've piled around them, all the stuff in their hands, all the things that they've given their life for, and it'll be corroded and rotting. And James says that corrosion, that rot, will turn and begin to eat their flesh like fire. He's, he, he says they fatten their hearts in the day of slaughter. He's saying just like a calf or a pig is fattened for slaughter, so the rich have fattened themselves for slaughter. He's saying the rich are like a pig who, who is on a farm going, my master loves me. Look at how much food he's giving me. Look at how fat I am. My master much, must love me even more than the other animals because look at how fat I am. A pig who loves to be fed extra, who loves to eat well only to find out on the day of their slaughter that they were fattened up for a different reason. So are the rich, James says. Listen, the, the scriptures are saying over and over that there are two kinds of rich. You can be rich materially, and you can be rich spiritually, and it's really hard to be both. It's really hard to be both. All right. If you're honest, as we read this letter to the church at Laodicea, maybe this is you. Maybe this whole lukewarm thing describes you. You do this Jesus church thing as a hobby. It's just kind of one of the things your family does, a list of things that your family is involved in. You definitely wouldn't say, no, I'm not. I'm, you wouldn't say you're on fire for Jesus, right? You just kind of do this Jesus thing on the side a little bit. You're not all in if that's you, what now? I mean, what now? Let's read the rest of the letter. Verse 19 in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus says, those, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, there's an important principle here in verse 19 that I don't want you to miss. Jesus disciplines those that he loves. Like a father, he speaks the truth to those he loves. He has expectations of those he loves. Jesus punishes those he loves when they are in the wrong. So you can't have Jesus' love without his discipline. You can't have that. You can't have Jesus' love without Jesus' discipline. They are inseparable. He disciplines those he loves. He rebukes and corrects those he loves. And some of us want a Jesus who just sweeps everything under the rug and goes, it's okay. 
I love you. It's fine. Some of us want like Grandpa Jesus. That's like, it's fine. Here's some candy. All right, that's what we want from Jesus. We want no accountability, no, no punishment for sin, no judgment from Jesus, no consequences for our rebellion and our disobedience and us being lukewarm. But listen, beloved, that is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible cares about sin. The Jesus of the Bible, like a good father, says no to his children. He rebukes them. He corrects them. He disciplines them when they're wrong. Why? Well, just, just like a good father, it's so that the children can learn, right? It's to keep them from further harm, from worse harm later. And with Jesus, the stakes are as high as they can be. We're talking about eternity here. So when he says, you're lukewarm, and you're making me sick, and I'm about to spit you, vomit you out of my mouth, when he says that, he's using that language to help wake you up, because the stakes are high and the time is short. Because you think you're rich, but you're actually poor. Because you think you can see, but you're actually blind. Jesus disciplines those he loves. I imagine that as he's dictating this letter to the Apostle John, I imagine that as he's dictating this letter to the Apostle John and he gets to this moment, I think he probably, he probably changes tone a little bit. He pauses, Jesus does. And John looks at him like, what else do you want me to write? And Jesus, kind of with tears in his eyes, he just kind of shakes his head. Maybe he's thinking about that rich guy in Luke 18. And he goes, John, John, tell him I love him. Tell him that I discipline those that I love. And tell, tell him that I love him so much. It's, John, tell him that I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking to, to tell them, tell them I haven't left them, I, I haven't given up on them, they're not past the point of no return. John, tell them that I love them. Tell them that I'm knocking and knocking and knocking. And, and John, tell them that if anyone, he, here at this moment, he, he moves from talking to the church at the whole, as a whole to talking to the individual. Jesus' love is for each person. And he goes, he goes tell, them, tell them that if anyone would hear my voice and open the door. It, tell them that if any of these Laodiceans would, would look around at their abundance and their luxury and their stuff and they would be able to see with spiritual eyes that you're, they're actually poor and pitiable and they need me because they're so wretched. John, tell them that I'm knocking and I'm knocking and I'm knocking and if they would just hear my voice and open the door, if they would hear my voice that it's not okay to be lukewarm, that lukewarm is not an option if they would open the door. John, tell them I would come in. I'd sit with them. And I'd eat with them like I eat with a friend. Listen, this is hard for rich people like you and me. 
to enter the kingdom of heaven, it's, it's hard. That's, Jesus said that in Luke 18. I, mean, I didn't make this up. I'm not... I'm just reading the scriptures to you. Luke 18, Revelation 3, James 5. I didn't didn't make this up. Jesus said it was hard for, it is hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven because we're actually poor. It's hard for us to see that that we're to be pitied because we think we're so blessed. It's hard for us to realize we're blind because we think we actually see better than the rest of the world somehow. Because all the stuff that we have. And he, in Luke 18, he said that thing about how it's easier to cram a, a camel through the eye of a needle than it is for one rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when he said that, his disciples were like, well, what's the point? I mean, if it's that impossible, like, like what's, what's the point? In Luke 18, they said this, they go, then, then who can be saved? But Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What's impossible with man is possible with God. It's it's possible with God. With the power of God, it's possible for rich people like you and me to actually enter the kingdom of of heaven for lukewarm people to get on fire for God and actually enter the kingdom of heaven it's difficult but it's possible with the power of God at work in us well, we know it's possible because of a vertically challenged man named Zacchaeus Zacchaeus is in Luke 19. So Luke 18, rich young guy comes up, asks Jesus if he can, how to get to heaven, and ends up walking away sad because he was extremely rich and couldn't give that up. Jesus turns to his disciples and goes, it's so hard. It would be easy for a camel to go for the eye of the needle than it would be for one rich guy to enter the kingdom of heaven. But it's possible for God. All of that happens in Luke 18. Then in Luke 19, a little guy named Zacchaeus Climbed up into what kind of tree? A sycamore tree. A lot of you don't ever answer when I'm saying stuff, but you know that Zacchaeus was in a sycamore tree. Good job. Zacchaeus is in a sycamore tree. He climbs up. What? what? He climbed up into a sycamore tree to what? See what he could see, right? There's a song that goes that way. He's looking at Jesus, trying to see Jesus. Jesus shows up to the tree, stops at the tree, and goes, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today, right? I'm going to come to your house. Come down from the tree. Let's go to your house. And Zacchaeus responds. Zacchaeus, very rich. Okay, he's also a tax collector and a thief, but he's very, very rich. He has lots of money. Jesus, I mean, Zacchaeus, up in the sycamore tree, goes, yeah, I'm coming. He jumps down from the sycamore tree. He goes, I'm going to give everything I have away. I'm going to pay back what I owe to people fourfold. I'm going all in. He goes all in. Zacchaeus goes all in with Jesus. So it's possible with God. It's difficult, but it's possible with God that, that a rich person can actually enter the kingdom of heaven. It's possible. <laughs> you go, man, what did... What did Jesus mean in that letter to Laodicea? Well, what does he mean? I mean, read it. Read it. What do you want me to say? It says he's going to spit you out of his mouth. Well, 
What does it really mean, though, Pastor? What does it, what does it mean, spit out of his mouth? Like, can I be saved and still be spit out of his mouth? That for those that are lukewarm, because, Pastor, I'm not, really on, I'm not really on fire for God. So, so those that are lukewarm, like, I raised my hand when I was 14 and, and said a prayer. So, so for those that are lukewarm or, or, and they're spit out of Jesus' mouth, are they saved? I mean, do they get to go to heaven? You decide. It says, wretched, pitiable, poor, blind. Does that sound like a believer to you? I once was blind, but now I'm blind? Does it sound like somebody who really knows Jesus? No. Beloved, if you're lukewarm, you're not a believer. If you're lukewarm, you make God sick and he spits you out of his mouth. It may be difficult to accept. I get that. It's not difficult to understand. But because if you get it, if you really get it, if you really discover the kingdom of God, if you get it, you won't be lukewarm because the Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is like a guy who uncovers a treasure in a field and he, he looks at it and he goes, oh my gosh, this is the most treasure, the most valuable thing I've ever seen in my life. And he covers it up quickly and with haste. The, the, in, in urgency, he runs away from that field and he sells everything he has. He goes, I I'm going to give everything away so that I can buy that field because what's in the field is, is so much more valuable than anything I have in my hands. The Bible says that, that the kingdom of heaven is like a, a vertically challenged guy named Zacchaeus who jumps out of a tree and goes, you can have all of my money. I'll give it all away to the poor because I've got God. The kingdom of heaven produces people who are on fire for God. It just does. They're hot. They're not lukewarm. It doesn't, it doesn't produce people who aren't sure. If you see Jesus for who he is, you get a revelation of who Jesus is and what the kingdom of heaven is. You're not going, I don't know. Man, I'm not sure. Jesus is great, but so is the world. Man, I'm just not sure what I should choose. Is that what Zacchaeus is doing? I mean, is that how you think this is going down in the, in the sycamore tree? Like he's up there going, oh, hold up, Jesus. Hold up a second. I got to make, oh, I don't know. Let me do some calculations. I'm not sure. This is going to be close. This is going to be really close. I'm just not sure. I mean, that's ludicrous. Here you have the God of the universe who spoke everything into existence. He sustains all that is. And you've got you with your, you're one of his little tiny little creatures living on an earth that he created. And you've got your tiny little house and your tiny little car and your tiny little checkbook. And you're going, I don't know. I'm not sure. I love my tiny little stuff, God. I'm not sure if you're worth it, Jesus. God says, ugh, you make me sick. And he vomits you out of his mouth. You make me sick. 
Not the words I want to hear from Jesus. I don't know about you. You know, what I, you know what I do want to hear from Jesus, though? I want to hear Jesus say to me what he said to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus jumps down from the tree, goes all in. He goes, ah, there's two ways to be rich, spiritually and materially. I've got materially. I'm not sure i got spiritually, so I'm going to give all this away to make sure that I've got spiritual riches in heaven. He goes, ah, ah, this is a big deal. I, I'm going I'm to go all in. He goes, all in, Zacchaeus does. And then Jesus says to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. Today, salvation has come to this house. I want to hear Jesus say, today, salvation has come to this house. To me, to my family, to, to our church at Great Oaks. I don't want him to say, you guys make me sick with how lukewarm you are. I don't want him to say that. I, I want him to say, today, salvation has come to this house. Don't you? I mean, don't you want to hear that from Jesus? Salvation has come to this house. If you do want to hear that from Jesus, then you need to do what these seven letters talk about doing over and over and over. You need to repent. We've talked about it multiple times in this series, Dear Church, because it shows up. Jesus talks about it multiple times in these letters. You need to confess that you're lukewarm and that that means you're lost. You have yet to really give your life over to Jesus. You can't be lukewarm and have given your life over to Jesus. You have yet to really accept Jesus for who he is in the Bible. And then you need to try to, you don't need to try to figure out how to warm yourself up. You don't need to try to figure out, like, how do I get myself on fire for God? How do I work this out? How do I get myself on fire for Jesus? What you need to do is ask him to save you. You need to be humble and go, I've been in church for 30 years, but I'm not saved. I'm lukewarm, and I'm getting spit out of Jesus' mouth if I, if I die or Jesus shows up before I repent. I'm not saved. You need to pray that Jesus would save your soul. You need to pray that salvation would come to you, to your house, to your heart, once and for all. That's a, that's a work only God can do. That's not something you can do. That's, that's a work only God can do. So, Hear the warning from Jesus. Lukewarm doesn't cut it. Lukewarm doesn't cut it. Hear the warning from Jesus. He disciplines those he loves. This is his love. Receive it and repent. He's knocking. Listen to his voice. Open the door. Let him in. And repent. Hear the warning. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your warnings in scripture, your rebuke, your correction. God, that you love us so much that you would do that, that you would say these things. Because heaven and hell hang in the balance. I pray right now, 
Like I've been praying this week in preparation for this Sunday, this message today. I pray against pride that would have many in this room bristling at your rebuke. Not my rebuke, but your rebuke, Jesus. They would be bristling, saying, ah, I'm not on fire, but I, I raised a hand. I've been in church for 20 years. I'm a good person. How can you say that I need salvation to come to my house? God, I pray against that pride that they would accept and receive your rebuke for what it is, that it's your great love for us. That like a father who sees better than his son, a father who only wants to hold his son back from even greater harm, you discipline us because you love us. So I pray against that pride that pride that maybe has been piled up over years of good religious behavior. Years of people saying, you're good to go, you're saved, you're fine, you're, you're whatever. I pray against that pride, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would enlighten our hearts, many in this room, that you would enlighten their hearts to the truth of the gospel, that they are actually wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked and they desperately need you to declare over them today salvation has come to this house Lord we love you I pray that if you were to write a letter to Great Oaks Community Church that it wouldn't speak of our lukewarm lackadaisical casual approach to you but rather you would write to us encouraging us because we're on fire for you. We love you, Jesus. We give all this into your hands and we trust you with it. It's in your holy name that we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to have some prayer workers on the side. Prayer workers, you can go uh, to the sides. But during this song, if you need prayer at all, want prayer for anything, just step to the side. Don't be scared. We'd love to pray for you and with you. Here's my prayer for you today. May you keep from running after the wrong kind of riches. May the Holy Spirit reveal to you where you're lukewarm, blind, and spiritually destitute. And may you respond not with anger at Jesus' rebuke, but with repentance and kindness and love because of what's behind that rebuke. As always, my encouragement to you is that you would get into a life group this week to talk this over. If you're not in a life group yet, you're not yet really plugged into Great Oaks. We're a church of life groups, not a church just with life groups. And so if that's you, we'd love to get you plugged in. Just stop at Connection Central on the way out. We'll get you plugged into a life group. My challenge to you is, as it always is, that you would leave here and not let this stop with you, that if you've been helped to take your next step towards God, that you would go out and be on fire for Jesus and help other people take their next steps towards God. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. God bless. Bring a bunch of people with you next week for our Easter celebration.